The following is a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. From the birthplace of modern winemaking, Sonoma, California, welcome to the winemakers. Local experts Sam Katuri, Bart Hansen, and Brian Casey, along with host John Myers, invite you to listen in as they discuss all facets of winemaking. So sit back, pour yourself a glass, and let's hear what the guys have to say this week. Yeah. That's, hey, is that from a, a washable bottle? That was oh, not boy. from a washable bottle, nor <laughs> was it the lightest bottle I could find. In fact, none of them have ever been. In fact, some of them are the heaviest bottles I could find. Right. Cold start, my, hot my, start. Welcome my, to the winemakers. My climate sins. This is a confessional. <laughs> Brian Casey today here with Bart Hansen, Sam Coturdy, and Diana Snowden. Do, do I use your other name as well? Is I it? go by Snowden Sess, but you don't have to. Snowden Sess. Yeah, Snowden okay. Sess. Yeah. Snowden okay. so much easier to pronounce yeah, when yeah, you read that's it fine. <laughs> when i'm familiar with it because i have one of the wines on the list so i'm like oh yeah. snowden i know that name but um, um that yeah, works Sess too is, that's is, okay yeah it's a lot of s's in one syllable it is it's that's why i didn't even know what to do with it yeah <laughs> can we, can we, yeah Sess. Sess. all right yeah, yeah at least we got that part right I, I mean i feel like if we have accomplished that much today <laughs> in today's show that uh, i'll have accomplished something today that's why let's uh brian do the introduction because yes. <laughs> <laughs> i always get it wrong yeah no everyone does yeah, yeah all right bart tell us how this all came together well, this all came together because there was an article about... Well, first of all, I, I knew of you. I knew... I'd been to Dujac mm-hmm. um, and had a tasting with Jeremy <laughs> and with a, a group of winemakers from here in Sonoma. And, and we had an e- e- exceptional tasting. As a matter of fact, I want to see if I have this if, this... if I'm putting these two stories correct together correctly. There was a walnut orchard outside the back of the winery mm-hmm. maybe three trees yeah and at the time we asked why wasn't that planted because how val- how valuable it must be mm-hmm. and they said it was because the man who owned the property said he would sell it to the family after he died but they had to leave it in trees for x amount of years um you know i don't know about that part of the story we don't intend to tear <laughs> them out actually no yeah. no it might it might be it's true it was owned by Père Amio, father Amio. we used to call him old man Amio down the street and okay. um and it now belongs to us he has passed okay and we just one of the it was it's an uh, a walnut and two cherry trees and one of the cherry trees was really diseased and we took it out and we've replanted to it the cherry tree so okay. yeah no it's it's our intention to keep it as cherry cool. trees and our neighbors don't appreciate it because of course that's competition and shade and and you know more messy than having vineyards next to you but right. the the fact is is that you know burgundy's landscape used to have a lot more interplanted cherry trees and of course biodiversity is just so important for soil health and right. and, and vine health right yeah so so that that was where i first came aware of of um Dujac and and somewhere along the way as i said I, uh, snowden winery stored barrels at a place that i worked so there was that. Yeah. Um, but then it was the article about capturing carbon. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we talk on this podcast a lot about climate change. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, we're not deniers. Um, <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> yes, we can get exactly. that out of the way. <laughs> well, I mean, there might be some people listening that are. Um, <laughs> if they're still listening after all these years and they're still deniers, 
nothing we can do about that. I actually <laughs> don't even think that that is a category. They just don't understand. It's not that they're denying climate change. They don't understand climate change. And I don't think that is... Or don't want to. Yeah. yeah. I think that, honestly, our schools don't do a great job of teaching science. And it's kind of abstract. It's hard to wrap your mind around the consequences of an invisible gas. You know, it's, I think that we just need to do a better job of explaining the whole, you know, the, 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 the nuts and bolts of climate change. Yeah. And I think in order to do, make these changes... Uh, you have to understand. Otherwise, you're just not motivated enough. It's just too hard to fundamentally change the way we do everything. Right. Well, and if you can't sell it, right? Like if, That too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we can sell gas. You're right. People it's make money off that. It's a marketing problem. But, yeah. But how do you sell changing? Yeah. Um, Tesla's doing a good job, but... Yeah. Um, no, but you have to start off with, you know, the basics, you know, the, yeah. the, the concentration of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. This planet hasn't seen it in three million years. And at that time, there were alligators on the South Pole and pine trees on the South Pole. And the earth is hurtling back towards that equilibrium. That is what we are feeling right now. You make it sound so exciting. <laughs> <laughs> I love the alligator part. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I mean, would you, would, you know, when you wrap your mind around what the planet looked like three million yeah. years ago, and that's where we're going. Yeah. You, you, then you start to get motivated about doing annoying things like capturing the CO2 coming off your right. tank. <laughs> and, and so, I mean, let's get right into that. I, I know there is a winery a little bit north of you, and I'm drawing the blank. It's one of the old... Are um, we in Burgundy or Napa? No, I'm yeah. sorry, in Napa. Okay. Um, uh, just north of you, of, of Ashes and Diamonds anyway. Okay. Um, uh, one of the old, uh, the old school Napa wineries that I thought that they were trying to capture some carbon dioxide out of their tanks. Um, okay, so I don't know what, what you're thinking of, but certainly there are... Yeah, that exists. Let's talk about who's doing it or how do you do it or yeah. what's going on. There are different degrees of carbon capture and it is going to be something that is going to really develop in the coming years because it has to. But for a long time, I mean, even you could do it very low budget just by uh, siphoning the CO2 off the top of the tank and putting it into another tank and using that instead of, instead of dry ice. So people have been doing that for a long time, and that costs nothing and requires only a hose and gravity, so it's really easy. Mm. But when you start getting into actually like reducing your, your, your carbon imprint and capturing CO2, then you're getting into serious engineering, and um, it is still in development, and there is nothing that is truly, <laughs> truly actually carbon negative about carbon capture right now. All of this needs to develop. But um, when you talk about, yeah, concentration of CO2 in the atmosphere, we're going to, and you hear it already, we're going to talk more and more about direct air capture. And this is outside of the wine industry, but these huge buildings with fans that are going to suck air out and peel the CO2 off at 420 parts per million and then return carbon dioxide free air back to back to the atmosphere. And when you think about the headspace of a tank, we're at 990,000 parts per million. It's almost pure CO2 and we blow it out the windows. So that is a missed Easy. opportunity. Yeah. However, in order to capture it, it requires, you know, a lot of hardware all of which has its own emissions impact. And we only have harvest one month out of the year. So if you really want to do this and capture that, that carbon dioxide, which when you multiply it by all of the tanks that we're fermenting in California and France, it's, it's a really impactful. But what you actually are going to need is plumbing to move your CO2 from your winery to a central location because it just doesn't make sense for each of us to have our own 
carbon compress carbon dioxide compressor and converting carbon dioxide into the various things that you can do on a mom and pop winemaking scale. It just doesn't make sense. And, and so, I mean, I guess the first way to maybe do that, if, if there was a place to bring it to, you could do, as you said, capture it in portable tanks and right. transport it. But then again, you're transporting so, it. So, yeah, then yeah. you're talking about what are your options. And most chemical engineers actually think that the most efficient vehicle for CO2 is to turn it into bicarbonate. And so you compress it and you bubble it through um, through calcium hydroxide or potassium hydroxide at a very low pH. It combines, it becomes the bicarbonate, and then you move the bicarbonate to another location where they peel off the CO2, turn it into biofuel or whatever other carbon-based thing, right. and then bring back to you the primary carbonate. But that cycle doesn't exist Bicar yet. Bicarbonate's like baking soda. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say, let's, right? let's yeah. for, for the, those of for us, those of us there, who didn't you know, have, get those science classes that we apparently <laughs> need so we understand any of this. Well, I'm just doing it on behalf of the, lit of the listeners. Thanks, you know. Brian. I appreciate that. Yeah. You know, we have uh, we Petaluma, Petaluma, and Sonoma. Right. I'm not saying who's who, but I didn't go to Petaluma. Um, <laughs> uh, so in, so in yeah. a powder form. So it's it's so yeah. it's baking soda. Yeah, yeah. You're making baking soda. Yeah, you can. I mean, you can you you can use a calcium, potassium, or or sodium car right. carbonate to make bicarbonate. Right. And but the thing is, we just is, sell brand wine rebranded. Well. Baking so soda that comes from... That's the problem. If you're not creating a closed cycle, if you're just baking cakes out of it or right. brushing teeth out of it, your teeth with it, it's not actually sustainable because in order to get the primary precursor molecule, the carbonate, right. which is going to trap your CO2 to become bicarbonate, you are mining bicarbonate, heating it to drive off the CO2, and then you're starting with carbon. That's how you get your carbonate. So in your carbonate already has released one molecule of CO2. And so if it's just a one-way um, one use, you're, not, you're, not it's, you're back to square zero. Right. Yeah, so if you want to go negative, then this whole other industry has to be developed where the bicarbonate gets, the, the carbon dioxide gets pulled, peeled off, and there are various ways to do it. And then they return the very same molecule back to you next harvest. Otherwise, it's not sustainable. Whoa. It's being mined from a mountain, trucked for go from God knows where, heated up, throwing a CO2 right. molecule into the atmosphere, then coming to your winery. So all of that is missing. So I got as far as I could with carbon dioxide capture, which is to say I plumbed our winery at Domaine Dujac. I have put out as much information as I can about where we are in terms of carbon dioxide capture, and now I'm waiting for technology to catch up, and it will. I mean, there's, you know. So what do you do with it? Right now, we're just getting it out of the winery and releasing it like we always did. Okay. Yeah, we're not capturing it. We have we have a company in France that does make bicarbonate, but they, you know, just as I explained, it's right. it's not. It's, yeah, it's more yeah. carbon. Yeah. yeah, to have them do something with it. Than yeah, to just let it go. And and during harvest, we've got better things to do than to fiddle around with bags of white powder. You know, and so <laughs> I just you know I. <laughs> so it's There's it's, it's like that. this exciting thing that is a possibility, <laughs> but we don't have the infrastructure yet. Um, so was, we're really at the stage of raising awareness and um, trying to, you know, trying to get uh, a value assigned to right. carbon dioxide emissions. Yeah. <laughs> That's where it's at, right? Yeah. 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 And then when you say plumbed. Yeah. What did that cost? And well, OK, so there, did you do that? we did it 
uh, fancy. You don't have to do it fancy. We use stainless steel um, plums, uh, plumbing that just uh, sticks right into the tank. We have open top tanks, so it's right into the lid of the tank. Mm-hmm. But I've seen it's, it's also being practiced in, in Bordeaux at Smitho Lafitte and Montrose, and they use PVC pipes, and mm-hmm. it costs really very little. Right. Um, so you can do it, with, and we should have done it with PVC. But anyway, we did it with stainless it steel. It's really pretty. Steel, yeah. Yeah. yeah, totally. <laughs> well, it's not plastic. Yeah, right, right. right. But, there is that piece of yeah, it. yeah. So it they're came wrapped in plastic, actually, though. Probably. Yeah, yeah. Well, right. And so yeah, you then then you think about you're talking about how what is the environmental impact of stainless steel versus plastic, and that's again a whole nother mm, rabbit right. hole. <laughs> a whole nother stainless steel, not particularly though. sexy yeah. rabbit hole. Yeah. Yeah, everything is the lesser of two evils. So it's <laughs> yes, it's it's right. always just picking best option for now. Yeah, and I that, mean that's it. I love the idea of taking fermentation CO two and making it back into dry ice that you put back in there. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I don't know how. I don't know if it actually like you can totally do that. Is, so what you're talking about now is the energy require, required required to, to take to gas CO two and turn it solid. And right. so that's your trade-off. It However, takes a lot to that, make that that yeah, cold. But if that energy is coming from is solar powered, then you're winning. It's all win. Right. Yeah, it's all win. Yeah, and you don't have to then have the truck show up no. with the dry ice that's right. chest that's twice right. a week. Yeah. And, or them tell you that they're or out. Or them then tell you like, which is what happened this week. Uh, the dry ice company just said to uh, a winery at the top of the mountain. I won't say the name because they don't like it when things get said about them. Um, <laughs> We'll talk about it off there. Uh, that they're just not going to drive up the hill anymore. They don't like. They don't like that hill. They have too much to do. This is your last delivery. <laughs> like, wow. oh, thanks, guys. Hmm. You always love it when a business fires another business for their because of their driveway. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, welcome to Moon Mountain. Yeah. <laughs> so, that, can we um, go back a little bit and just talk about where you grew up and where you're from? Yes, yes. I uh, was born in Queen of the Valley, St. Helena, in 1978. Queen of the yeah. Valley. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I went to St. Helena Elementary School and went stayed there until I was 10. My parents are divorced, and I moved uh, to Albany near Berkeley with my mother and would kind of go back and forth between my dad's house in St. Helena and Berkeley. And then I I went to UC Davis just because I liked the campus. It was kind of a fluke. I didn't know wow. what I was going to do. I Yeah, I was undeclared when I went, went to UC Davis, and I came back to my dad's house in St. Helena after freshman year, and he was like, welcome home, get a job. And and so I called my best friend's father. My best friend was Kiara Mandavi, and I called Tim, and I asked for a job, and I worked as a sugar sampler in 97 at Robert Mandavi Winery absolutely loved it it's a great first job you know you drive out to all these hidden yeah hidden suppliers and take a representative berry sample bring it back to the lab and drop it off and yeah (laughs) and it was it was it was carbon yeah (laughs) (laughs) went back to uc davis declared my major as viticulture and enology and the next year at robert mandavi winery i met Jeremy Sess, who's now my husband. Okay. Uh, so I finished Davis in 01 and moved to France, did a harvest in Bordeaux, thought I was leaving California forever, and uh, lived there three years when my father called and said, help, we need you, come back. And um, then I started commuting between 
Bordeaux and and Napa making the wines for, for that, Snowden Vineyards. That was my question. Was your parents were involved in the wine industry? My grandparents bought our property on the east side of Napa Valley mm-hmm. in 1955. And we sold grapes for a long time. And the story of Snowden Vineyards is... You was know, it planted in 55? Uh, there were some prohibition uh, grapes that were kind of quietly dying. Yeah. We had, yeah. And that's what that's what my grandfather farmed. Palomino and, and Gamay. And they went into bulk oh. wine. Yeah. Napa Bring game, it eh? back. Well, yeah, they were dying yeah. and virused. Yeah, and so after he died, they replanted to to Cabernet on AXR. So anyway, it was it's then a long, again. long story of ups and downs for Snowden Vineyards. Yeah. So where is this piece of property? It's above the Auberge de Soleil on the east side of the valley in the hills. Um, he picked a nice spot. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. yeah. Grandparents, yeah. Yeah, right, 1955. Yeah. Nobody yeah. else wanted it, probably. Oh, it was cheap, yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. Grapes were worth nothing. Almonds and, and were. And it wasn't on the valley floor. It was uh, yeah, yeah. Hard to farm, hard right. to get to. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then there are these little pockets of prohibition grapes that were right. hidden in the forest. Right. Yeah. In places where nobody could find yeah. them. Yeah. No, but you're right. There was no water, no electricity. Right. Yeah. Well, then you, when you say that you weren't planning on, you, you were planning on just living in France, like. I was young. I, you know, I had no long-term plans, really. I was <laughs> but I'm assuming during the, the courtship, let's call it, that yeah. you had probably gone back to France and seen, um, maybe met family members and you said, oh, this is really nice. I could imagine living here. Oh, um, you mean vis-a-vis Jeremy? Yeah. I... I guess yeah. We did long distance dating for from ninety eight to oh one, and then I wanted to give our relationship a chance in oh one, and so yeah, I moved, we moved in together in an apartment in Nuit Saint Georges, mm. and um, yeah, and I loved it. Uh, yeah, so I was I was working. I I did a few more internships, and I also was doing French classes, and I did also to get a visa. I taught in schools in Nuit Saint Georges. And by 03, yeah, by 03 Harvest, I was working full-time at Dujac um, as an enologist, part of the production team. And when you talk about doing internships at other places, like, how did you, I mean, you're at Dujac. So then how do you... Well, this <laughs> is prior. Her, this is prior. And, okay. And her yeah. list okay. of internships here are pretty impressive. Yeah, I did the two vintages at Mandavi, mm-hmm. then yeah. Mum, because mm-hmm. you could get in a full harvest before fall quarter, right? right? Then I did t- you get four harvest while you were at Davis? Yes, I did. Yeah. And then I, yeah, then I did fall quarter of my last year at Araujo. Yeah. And they actually offered me a position uh, as an assistant winemaker and I turned it down in order to move to France. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And, who and was that the was a real crossroads. Francoise Pachon oh, at yeah. the time, yeah. yeah. And then I did one in Bordeaux at the Fleur de Bouard, and then at Domaine Le Fleuve with Anne Claude. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Then I started at Dujac. Yeah. Yeah. Although so, when we took on at UC, da- uh, when we took on at Snowden, David Ramey as a consultant, right. I also got in some time in his cellar um, when I came over here. Okay. Friend of the yeah. pod. Yeah, friend of the pod. He's great. Yeah. So he great. Yeah. Such a great balance between technical and old world. I mean, I really think that's where the sweet spot is. That's yeah. better well, said than we could have said. Yeah, and you know what I think? I, she what was a I, teacher. Yeah, totally. Well, that's what I was thinking before she even said. Before you even said you were a teacher, I was like, 
we need to tell our listeners this is the episode to listen to to learn how to properly pronounce all these <laughs> French winery names. <laughs> like I could have never said Nuit Saint Georges until thirty seconds ago. <laughs> it was Nuit. <laughs> I mean, I think what I always liked about David. David consulted. Uh, for us when I was at Benziger okay. and um, Mike Benziger was one who liked to have a winemaking protocol mm. and um, it was always something to reference and I can remember David trying to say him but this is great Mike but you also have to be able to you know adjust and change and, and let totally. your let your palate tell you what to do totally um, and and Mike wasn't really that way yeah um, yeah he became that way though, yeah you know I mean because he came more in tune with everything yeah which I, I think yeah. David gets all that credit yeah. Now I've had that conversation, that exact conversation many times. Yeah. It's really, you can have these, these protocols, but it's, you have to respond in the moment to what the grapes in front of you. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, you know, I'm now trying to juggle two harvests, one in Burgundy and one in Napa. And, um, you know, frequently, especially since the, the, the temperatures have gotten warmer since 2012, they fall on top of each other. And, and I, yeah. And then I prioritize Napa because there are plenty of people to make Dujac and there's, you know, there's my husband, there's his brother, there's his father who's still around. Then we have full fledged winemakers there for the glory of touching Grand Cru grapes. And so, yeah, I, I frequently miss Dujac so that I can be here to berry sample and to really respond to, you know, the grapes and not numbers. Some people are lucky enough to work for one family in the wine business. <laughs> you work with two a, families a, in the wine a business. A blessing and a yeah. curse. Right. It is. It is. It's both. It's, it's both. wonderful, but then you're always missing something important, and that's yeah. tough. Well, and I mean, you, you hit on it, and this is the story of the 2022 harvest. Um, you know, when you were first planning this out, yeah. it probably made a lot of sense. Burgundy would be earlier, yes. and then you could wait a couple of weeks. Everything would be, you know, heading head into barrel, and you could fly it to California and yeah. and figure out what the heck was going on here. Uh, this year, I mean, every winery that I was talking, you know, on Friday at Reprie, they were bringing in um, grapes that were going to be bound for sparkling wine. Friday third. Friday. Yes. This is in like yeah. three. To, you know, th- this last Friday was so. This is coming out of a week ago. Um, at the same time that they were bringing in Zinfandel and Cabernet uh, and we were making Rosé and it was just like, the winery is built for three waves yes. of that yes. instead of one tsunami of everything showing yeah. up yeah. in the same week. Uh, so, you know. Today, you, this year was, it was tough. Yeah. Is, so that was my question. Snowden is in tank and Dujac has picked yet? So I... Uh, had a ticket to arrive September 10th. Okay. Then 30th of August, I had two days of harvest in, in at Dujac and decided that is not going to work out. And I bought a ticket for the second Friday, second. Okay. Yeah. And so I got in four days of white wine picking and managed to train up our, our replacement enologist on the new equipment that I had bought for the lab. This is in, 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 France. in Burgundy. Okay took nothing but my passport jumped on a plane because <laughs> i am fortunate enough i stay at the house that my, was my grandmother's and i can keep right. my boots and whatever all my clothes there separate pairs of don't, yeah. don't mix the soils yeah <laughs> it just make your ba- makes your bags lighter yeah totally yeah and labels. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly yeah. save room for the other crazy things you're putting in your bag yeah, yeah. right right <laughs> So I, 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 and I thought about bringing wine. I was like, no, I just can't even deal with it. <laughs> I got here on Friday 
pregnant and thank God, because as you say, I mean, we had one month of ripening compressed into three days and totally. it was insane. Yeah. 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 One month of ripening compressed into three days yeah. could be, that's the, the bumper sticker of 2022. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 It was brutal. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, before we get too far down the road, um, talk a little bit about Snowden wines. Um, and we always like people to know if they're listening, they want to look on the website or um, follow on the social social media. Can you, you know, shout out all those connections and yeah. um, talk a little bit about what the focus of it is? Well, I see this is from Santa Cruz Mountains. Yeah. That we're gonna taste. Yeah. No, so I brought a project that was more appropriate to the conversation. But yeah, so Snowden. I mean, I just really wanted to bring everything that I absolutely rang, rung true to me about the winemaking approach in Burgundy back to my family's property. And so I, yeah, I started in 05 and I saw our property with these new, from a new vantage point. Um, and we have 160 acres and we, ha we have different altitudes, different expositions. And with my Burgundy starry eyes, I said to myself, well, we can't blend. We have to do single vineyard designates. But it took us a long time to get there because in order to really make something that ex expresses sight, uh, you have to, you can't put chemicals on the ground. So the first thing was to transition to organics. And that took us a long time. We first, you know, gate. <laughs> Is that in stereo? Did we? That was, that was awesome. <laughs> it's almost like we planned that. Yeah. Yeah. So first we gave up Roundup and that, you know, that was expensive. <laughs> <laughs> I need a bigger glass yeah, to think that one. Yeah. Yes. Well, so yeah, I mean, and, and it was, it was hard for me to, we were, my father and uncle were growers. They were growing for tonnage. And I was saying, you know, you have to give out up Roundup because the nuances that make wine special that begins in the soil and you're killing your soils with, with this, with this herbicide. And they would say, yeah, but the number of people who actually care is, you know, so few and far between. And, and it cost, it used to cost us $800 for one application of Roundup in the first year, 2012, when we gave up Roundup, we spent $32,000 on. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but now we have, you know, now the conversation is totally blown out of the water with regenerative and how about just leave the weeds? Right. And, and, you know, that is something that we're, we're now thinking about and, and experimenting with. I don't want to go, you know, stampeding into it because obviously water is a big issue right. and competition between, between the uh, cover crop and the vine right. is, you know, is an issue. Just choke the weeds out with better weeds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's yeah, yeah. you know intentional ground cover. Yeah. Um, yeah. But. So yeah. So Snowden, we yeah we we are now in the process of certifying. We're finally all the way after giving up Roundup. Then we gave up systemic fungicides, and that was 2016. And then we had to find a source of phosphorus that was organic and worked because we absolutely have absolutely no phosphorus. Finally trialed with a bunch of things. Finally got it, and now we're now we're certifying. Yeah, and I really feel like you can feel that transition in the wines. You can feel depth of character and complexity. Every chemical we gave up, every uh, increased biodiversity in the soil, you can feel that depth in the wines. But what about father and grandfather? And yes, they my were convinced. Okay. Yeah, fa my father and uncle. Yeah, father, okay. you know, it doesn't take a degree or science education to see the difference between a dead soil and a living soil. Yeah. And they were absolutely convinced within the first spring they could just see that. And, and the vines that we had that were virused and declining came back and were producing again. So yeah, they were absolutely on board. Stop spraying herbicide on the plant that you're trying to grow and yeah. the plant that you're trying to grow grows better. <laughs> I didn't need a degree for that. Well, yeah. yeah, and you can see it. I mean, you can see life. We all respond naturally right. to right. yeah it feels better to 
be in the vineyard yeah to walk through the vineyard the ground feels better yes. under your boots yes I mean, yes i yeah. still get pushback from our foreman the man who was applying glyphosate right. and he's like oh i miss glyphosate diet i miss roundup and i was like well what about right. you know lymphatic cancer yeah it's not as oncologist <laughs> right he needs a new supplier of hats yeah. you know? but, <laughs> but it is more work you're making more tractor passes and right. and that has also been a point of contention among those of us who are trying to fight climate change there is a big pool of people who are saying you have to you know Organics is bad because you're making more tractor passes, and so you have higher emissions due to diesel tractors. And now we have Monarch, again, right. blowing the whole conversation right. out of the water. You can just use electric or just leave the weeds. Right. So, yeah. Or just do it less, right? There's, yeah. a, there's, a, right. There's, there's a middle ground there um, that, you know, it's what we're all seeking is that balance. You know, some tractor passes, but it doesn't have to look yeah. the way it looked when you sprayed the Roundup, right? It can, right. you know... or do every other row. We've yeah. been doing a lot of that lately. Is you know, yeah, that's what we're doing. Mowing or mm-hmm. in, incorporating on every other row yeah. and leave the other row crimped or just mowed. You know, things like that. Exactly. And just like find that and and you know the story of like taking your dad and your uncle through this and you know seventeen year journey mm-hmm. um, is you know that those incremental steps that if we're all making those incremental steps mm-hmm. uh, you know if you're car- capturing some of the carbon that's coming out of your fermenter um, you know it's these incremental steps that'll get us yeah it's dramatically better right yeah right. yeah absolutely yeah. and and we can't we can't buy into the well what you're doing isn't perfect that's right you have to start somewhere you know I have uh, someone in my family who's a a, a denier of um, climate change and doesn't understand it. He, he doesn't understand it. <laughs> and and he's, you know, he's so against like electric cars and anything electric. He, and his argument is just like, well, what about the batteries? What are we going to do with about the batteries? Yeah. And I said, well, you have to start somewhere, mm-hmm. right? Like that's we'll right. figure that out. We, we, you know, that's, that's the story of, um, of, of gasoline in the oil business, right? Mm-hmm. You got to figure out what's beyond it. So, you know, that's right. And it is true that, it's all so horrendously com- uh, complicated, and um, there are, of course, impacts of other choices like the battery, and and so it, that it is that that causes the inertia and causes us from getting anywhere. But I think at this point, our fat the th- the the cliff that's coming up closest is absolutely the accumulation of greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. So. Well, and let's talk about some other like incremental changes. Um, away from capturing the co2 that's coming out of our our fermentations you know what other ways are you looking at are you doing to reduce the carbon emissions in the wine business from you know from soup to nuts from yeah yeah so sales so i became a member of the porto protocol and now i'm on the board of the porto protocol and um, so you, know, Will you I think, give like a, just a yeah, five sentence, what the Porter yeah, protocol is for. It's, it's great. It's a nonprofit organization designed for people in the wine industry and the, there's no cost of admission. The cost of admission is sub- submitting some case study that you have done that other people can benefit from. And so my case study was the carbon capture, carbon dioxide capture in, uh, installation at Domaine Dujac mm-hmm. and research on that subject. So essentially, you know, we have people from all over the world submitting um photos and and intel about beekeeping about living roofs about water reduction i mean a diverse number of, of subjects for free accessible to all of us to try and figure out what we can do 
first, you know, right. find the low hanging fruit. What, what, what can we do that's not going to impact us too negatively financially and that is actually feasible and will start walking us in the right direction. And so, and so that, yeah, if you go to the website, there are a million case studies and then we also have talks like today on different subjects. And um, yeah, and so that's, that was the Porter Protocol's mission is to bring us together collectively as a, a wine winemaking community globally and share best practices, right. tips, stuff like that. Cool. Yeah. Where was that started and where is it based? It, in Portugal. Porto, yeah, in Portugal, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's not just a clever name. Yeah. Okay. Taylor's, it's funded by Taylor's. Oh, sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And and I was I was yeah and I was uh, brought in by Roger Bolton. I was calling him um, to talk about carbon dioxide capture. Roger Bolton, engineering professor at UC Davis. He was my old professor, and I had been calling him to figure out how we were going to do this at Domaine Dujac. And he said, "You have to join Porto Protocol," and I obeyed. (laughs) So listen to your teachers. Exactly. So what is going on in Burgundy in the farming? When, when I was there, I believe it was 2000, you know, we were asking about organic farming and a lot of what we heard was that they were farming organically. And the reason why we didn't know is because they didn't use as marketing. They did it because it was the right thing to do. That's exactly right. Yeah. And so, you know, here we're seeing people, you know, taking on regenerative farming Mm -hmm. um, and whatnot. Is that being talked about or Mm -hmm. are you guys just doing it because it's the right thing to do still? Yeah, no. So organic farming, I think by and large started in Burgundy because they just started intuitively realizing, producers started intuitively realizing that there was greater expression of sight when you didn't use the chemicals. I mean, everyone's story is a little bit different, but that was that was the Dujac angle. And some people did it because they noticed that their, you know, their daughter had asthma or, you know, there were there were other stories. But they sort of just figured out this was something they had to get away from from a quality and health standpoint. And um, and so it was really it began uh, to increase expression of sight. Of course, you know, we have these vineyards that are in very, you know, very small geographic differences. And you want to have as much expression of difference as possible. And so living soils, you see more of each of those characteristics. And yeah, I mean, I yeah, I don't really get do a real survey of my neighbors other than the evening dog walk. And when you walk through Nuit Saint-Georges, from Nuit Saint-Georges, you know, in the direction of Bone, mm-hmm. you go through so many different farming practices. And at this stage, I do not see I do not see herbicide very often. And most of yeah, most of Burgundy has given up herbicides. As far as regenerative, you definitely see those too. And um, there, you know, Charles Show is very big proponent of not using not not cultivating the soil. And you can see how that plays out in in hot dry vintages versus, you know, very, very wet vintages. You know, it's 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 a complicated story. Right. Yeah, but and, it's and, happening. Yeah, and yeah. will be continue to become complicated. Yeah, yeah. Right? so at Dujac, we decided somewhat like you were saying, every other row, that's what we're doing at Snowden. We're cultivating under the vine at Dujac and leaving the wi- the weeds in the middle of the vine right. where they are. Right. Yeah, we don't seed for anything. So yeah, it's just natural, whatever is, is indigenous and natural to the area. Interesting. Yeah. Can we do just um, for the sake of, you know, we talk about the harvest report of what's happening in California a lot this time of year. Yeah. Um, will you give a quick sort of like what, what the year was like in, in Burgundy, what the, what the 2022s are looking like? 2022 to, to get to the end of the story is going to be a great vintage, but it was, you know, we had some real frost scares and I think that's, probably what's going to be most impactful for Burgundy uh, with regards to climate change. 
um, we now are getting shoot growth 30 years, uh, sorry, 30 days earlier than 30 years ago. Whoa. Yeah. And so then when you get a kind of a natural, normal uh, weather event of cold coming through, then you get nailed by frost. And that's just going to be, that's going to be more and more recurrent. So we had some frost scares, but we got away without frost damage this year. Then by and large, I mean, you heard about the heat waves and yeah, it was a, a dry and hot um, growing season on the whole, but there was also this horrible um, rainstorm, which washed away a bunch of topsoil that we're going to have to put in wheelbarrows and roll back up to the top. And For then, real. And then see, yeah, so, that is, that is so what we have always done historically, and that is what we're going to have to be doing this winter for Wait, sure. So, sorry, that's totally intriguing to me. So is it literally people out there with yes. shovels and wheelbarrows yes. and then going back up to the top of the hill and, and redistributing it and then seeding so it doesn't do it doesn't wash off again so it's easily. is it like it's like a clow like the water the yeah we'll do it vineyard by vineyard washed down from the top yeah and it's now at the bottom and now at the bottom and we're gonna, gonna shovel it shovel into wheelbarrows walk them back up to the top and then and you know some vineyards were worse than others our worst was the Montluzon which is a, a Chardonnay uh, vineyard on a really steep slope with, you know, it's, it, it doesn't, it's, it's a struggle for, for um, the, the cover crop to grow anyway, because it's just right. a very extreme site. And so that right. was the worst spot. That's where we're really going to focus our efforts. And when was the rainstorm? It was the summer. Um, it was sometime in June, I want to okay. say. And yeah, it was all over Instagram, you know, people's Sellers had water mid barrel and yeah. yeah it was wow. it was just a ridiculous amount of water in very little time there's a um there's a grass hay field over in pengrove that i've driven by a lot lately and it's just been plowed for next year or or disked for next year and it's it just sits up on a gentle hill and it comes down to the flats and the soils up on the hill are like kind of white brown um, and everything down on the bottom is completely black and, and it's just all the clay that was in the soil or all the, everything washing down towards the Creek. Right. And it's so evident. And so you can imagine how that would happen mm -hmm. uh, totally. in those places. Yeah, no erosion is a real issue on hillsides that are, you know, any agricultural endeavor on the hillside, right. you have to think about erosion. Right. Yeah. Well, in, in, you know, in, in California, you can plant a cover crop now and it'll germinate and you'll have something that's holding mm -hmm. that soil on it, it, pictures you see of you know especially the the northern appalachians and in, in aocs in france that you know, they don't you don't really get cover crop germination until the springtime right well on extreme hillside it's, it's hard to and get cover all. crop to seed yeah yeah we don't we don't seed our cover crops on we we just let whatever's going to grow grow some people do right. like like i was saying on that dog walk you can see the people who do seed right. some people leave a straight up lawn underneath their vines <laughs> and um and then yeah you can see people who do use herbicides and how right. often and who plowed when you can just right. you know it's just right. you know three vines belong to this person the next five vines belong to another person it's just you see all of these farm farming choices in real time it's it's cool that's, yeah that's awesome yeah well, can we talk a little bit about Ashes and Diamonds? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So what is your role there and how did that all get started? Um, okay. So 2015, I the two harvests fell on top of each other, which is to say Dujak and Snowden, and right on top of the first day of school for our kids. And I left 
you know, Dujak and I left my kids and came over here uh, to make effectively, you know, five tons of, or five tanks of fruit for, well, I make 35-ish tons for Snowden and to watch five tanks of fruit ferment. And I found that very frustrating. <laughs> and so I, <laughs> I was thinking, God, you know, either I have to just cut California out of my life and devote myself to my French life because this back and forth is ridiculous. And I'm missing, you know, I'm missing all of this just for a very little quantity of wine. We're making about 2000 cases or I have room for another client. And around that time, I was also, yeah, I was also talking to Steve Mathiason, who's my colleague at, at Ashes and Diamonds. But at that time he was not, I really barely knew him about more of, you know, organic farming and transitioning. And because I have some very virus Cabernet Franc and he kind of dropped everything and had me come over with my Cab Franc and spend a day kind of showing me around and talking about organics. And I, and we barely knew each other. And so then a, a few weeks later, he called me and said, I have a, I have my client is coming to Burgundy. Would you mind giving him a tasting? I said, of course it was Kashi Coletti. And I gave him a tasting and we started talking and his project just sounded amazing. And at the time he, and part of his project, you know, there are a lot of kind of pillars um, that are make up the ethos of ashes and diamonds. You know, one is community and there's that, there's a big community aspect and we're going to actually going to do a Q and a um, next Wednesday. I don't know when this is going to be aired, but uh, Wednesday On 21st. Friday, yep. Yeah. Wednesday 21st, we're going to do a sustainability conversation with Mimi Castile, who's coming from Oregon and Steve, myself, mm -hmm. Robin Lale mm -hmm. and Carlo Mandavi. And so there's this community side. There's also this, you know, we're going to make wines that make you feel good. So low alcohol and wines that, you know, go with food and, mm -hmm. you know, don't make you feel like the next morning praying to the gods that you'll never do it again. So that was part of it. <laughs> and, and it just sounded, it just sounded great. And, uh, and part of it also was he really felt it was important to have two winemakers, to have more diversity of style. And so at the time it was Dan Petrosky and Steve Mathiason. And Dan decided that he wanted to, concentrate on his own things and so um early yeah 2015 some point he was he was searching for another winemaker and asked my advice and i said well how about me yeah and that was it and so i've yeah i've been making those wines since 16 and it's been it's been great because getting off my hill and seeing and seeing different Again, different farming choices, different vineyards was just, you know, and, and also meeting more people and exchanging with, with more people. It's been, you know, I've, I've just grown professionally so much thanks to that project. And what what is kind of the, the philosophy of Ashes and Diamonds as far as, you know, varietals and, and what you guys want to be doing there? Um, well, so yeah, I mean, in addition to making wines that are more restrained, more like classic 1970 Napa cabs, um, I think, you know, it, we're, we're, focused I'm making mainly single vineyard designate wines and Steve is making a rosé blend and a Sauvignon Blanc and a Cab Franc um, and it's just you know I think classic Napa is really the idea although I do make one wine from Santa Cruz um, but yeah classic wines that go back to another area simpler times more you know, more about spending quiet time at a table than kind of loud time at a pissing contest. <laughs> <laughs> well said. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and not chasing your neighbors, right? Like mm -hmm. knowing what you want to do and, and, and sticking to that, you know, idea. Um, I do want to just say, if, for those of you, um, 
Diana's here and um, I'm like hiding my hands because I used to have dirty harvest hands, but now I don't have dirty harvest <laughs> hands anymore because I make so little wine. But your your hands are, there's a lot of respect there. Oh. Um, I know you've only been here for a while, but you can see you've been working. So. Oh, thank you. Yeah, and I <laughs> like to get dirty. I love yeah. that side of yeah. the job. I really think it's a gift. I, I didn't know I should be so ashamed of my clean hands, but... <laughs> We just started harvesting. So that's, I, that's, that's my that's, excuse. That's what I'm telling myself too. I've only dealt with white wine so far. That's that's why. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell us about this wine we're having. Yeah. Yes. And that'll be a good. Um, uh, you can talk about the uh, bottle sharing also. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So after I had re- gone as far as I could with uh, carbon capture, I decided enough of this low hanging fruit. I'm very bored of low hanging fruit. You know, if you do your carbon audit, so you count. It's this you know painstaking exercise of counting every. Every, th- every action in the year, everything you purchase, and you figure out what part of your business is most uh, greenhouse gas intensive. And you will inevitably discover that anywhere from 50 to 70% of your carbon emissions are due to buying glass bottles. Wow. So yeah. I've never heard it actually a number um, put to it, but that's huge. It's huge, it's huge. From the melting of the glass, also transporting of the glass, so those two accumulated are anywhere from 50 to 70% of your carbon emissions of your company. Transporting it empty to you, but also transporting it full to where it goes, Yeah, that's part of the tally. And so, of course, you know, a first step is to use lighter bottles and that will already quickly reduce your emissions by 10%. If you're moving from like a 700 gram bottle to a 500 gram bottle, you will reduce your emissions immediately. And sorry, I have to, so devil's advocate, what is the pushback on using a lighter bottle just in general? That is marketing. There is absolutely right. no qualitative reason to use a heavy bottle. It is right. because we have this impression that <laughs> if it's right. a heavy Ooh, bottle, and I get that pushback all the time, just yeah. this week within my own family, yeah. when I showed you know this light bottle that we're going to move to, the commentary from the elders was, yeah. that looks cheap. And I right. said, spoken like a baby boomer. Right. <laughs> the Thanks, next, boomer. Thanks. Yes. Okay, boomer. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the younger generation will look at your heavy bottle and say, you are robbing me of my future. Yes. So, yeah, first step, sorry. No, no, no. <laughs> I, it's, it's one of these. So I, I got taught this by our, um, our executive chef at the hotel. Um, the other day we were out at the food truck and one of these cars came by that was like, had the thing on their exhaust, you know, that made it sound super loud. So it was just screams by and, and, and the chef held up his pinky like this. And I went, what are you talking about? He says, oh, in Australia, we have a whole ad campaign for people that drive cars with loud engines, when they drive by, we hold up our pinky, which means you must have a small dick. <laughs> so he said, you guys th- need to take that on because you're totally smashing the machismo. That's They're great. like, whenever now when cars drive by in Australia, <laughs> they do so this, when, and then the guys are like, ah, oh, shit. That's really good. So, so, so put the heavy bottle the on the table. With the, you put with your the heavy bottles, the Napa cabs that are in those bottles that even when it's when you pour the wine out, yeah. You pick it up and you think it's full. And you think yeah. It's full. Right. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's obnoxious. I mean, yeah. yeah. So first thing you can do, give up uh, your heavy bottle, move to a lighter yeah. bottle. It's already, as we're talking about, you know, these little right. things you can do. That is something you can, everyone ten, can 10% do. Ten percent at least. Yeah, ten yeah. percent of your min- emissions immediately. Yeah. But I am impatient and uh, ambitious, and I decided that was not enough. I wanted to do bottle reuse because if you really look at the whole problem of glass, it's not just emissions. The planet is running out of sand that is uh, that is qualifies for making glass. You can't use desert sand to make. Wait, where do they glass. get all the sand? Riverbeds. 
only riverbeds have enough silica content to become glass and we are running out of riverbed sand and on top of that uh the recycling program in the united states is completely defunct yeah. only one out of every three wine bottles actually gets recycled so even if it goes into the recycling even bin. if it goes into the recycling yeah. bin yeah, yeah yeah and so that is in disrepair and so I decided right let's try bottle reuse and through Porto Protocol I had met this company called Good Goods that was trying to do bottle reuse programs and have specific accounts where they would reaccumulate bottles and so that you know it's a, it's all of these are startups it was a startup and it's kind of gone through different incarnations in the three years that we've been talking, but I'm still working with Melissa Sanders, who uh, was consulting for Good Goods, and she has a distribution company called Communal Brands, which mainly focuses on box wine, but she is going to be distributing this wine that I started in 2021 in a glass bottle with a washable label, because that is one of the roadblocks to reusing glass. And so, yeah, so the, the gold standard for true sustainability is reusing your bottle. Yeah. And all glass can be reused glass is inert that's the whole point and it can yeah. be used over and over and over again and if you really want to be sustainable and i think we do because our business depends on it like psychologically i just can't wrap my mind around how we can be complicit with our own demise we have to set the example because our own longevity depends on it right and so i it just you know that's where we have to go we have to use reuse glass and people tell me all the time diana that's just that's too much that's not possible and i said no what is not possible is changing the laws of physics that right. is non-negotiable yeah and we are going to be bitch slapped by this climate yeah. instability and it's already started yeah, our, our being yeah, yeah. it's bitch already started this. Yeah. yeah so i think you can yeah. reconsider whether or not you can bring your bottle back to a collecting station so and reuse it. that's what i want to so, know is walk us through the flow okay. yeah all right Okay, so I, I um, chose, first of all, the roadblock number one is, a, is getting a label that comes off. You know, the, the, we all remember probably uh, glue labels. Those mm -hmm. come off. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> then, then the industry moved to autoadhesive, and they really don't come off, most of them. So you have to get an adhesive, which is hydrosoluble. And I only found that uh, in Burgundy, so I carried these labels back over to Napa in my suitcase. The next hurdle to bottle reuse is no clothes <laughs> no boots <laughs> that's right maybe a toothbrush prioritize and a box of labels yeah, yeah. and they're heavy actually they are heavier they're than really any of the heavy. other things yeah. that you could have read in there uh, but it we pulled it off and I also that the next roadblock is your bottle size and essentially if we all want to get a place where we're reusing bottles we have to have the same bottle height you can't have a mix of bottle heights or hallelujah you're, yeah you're gonna have corks that stick out or go in too far that's just we all have to get back to using right. the same you know several selection of bottles so and and I guess this is the part that like when you started to talk about this before we started recording was like blowing my mind because it's you're not talking about just reusing your brand bottles. That's yeah. it's it's everybody who is in this program has the same bottles. They go to like some central depository. That's my long term goal. Yeah, that's a long term vision board goal. Okay. We're not there yet. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So where we started first was, you know, my family thought, you know, we are not 
and, and I also said, okay, we have to do this on a trial. We can't just start moving Snowden to washable bottles with a hydrosoluble label. Let's start this offshoot brand to give this a try. And I got together with my sister and my cousins, who I'm trying to get into the family business anyway, again, on the whole longevity yeah, <laughs> mission. And they were totally into it. And I found some fruit. I really love the Santa Cruz Mountains. I think that it is absolutely undervalued and underappreciated. And it has just as great vineyards as Napa. It's just a pain in the butt to get up there. And that's really the difference. Um, so I, you know, I, I found this vineyard that is biodynamically farmed, dry farmed, own rooted, ticking all the sustainability boxes. And I made this Merlot in, in, and used a bottle that is kind of the most it, lightweight, straight sided, most common bottle out there. So Can this you shout out the glass company. Ah, uh, no, not okay. a, uh, right. Tricor, I think. Tricor Braun. Tricor Braun, yeah. yeah. It's Tricor Braun, yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, I just decided, you know, you have to start with something that's that's out there and this bottle can right. be reused because you can get the label off. Right. So where we are so far is communal brands has found accounts which are committed to accumulating the bottles and they are going to collect the bottles and ship them back to me and where they will be washed. Yep. Go ahead. So how? So let's say I'm a consumer. Yeah. I buy wine from you. Yeah. What am I doing when I'm done drinking the wine? Okay. So we're starting with accounts or that like will accumulate. Yeah. Okay. Restaurants. Okay. Because the individual piece is way too complicated for right. the moment. And, you know, we've looked into the cost of shipping, shipping em empty bottles. It's, it's expensive. Right. Um, and I, and some people want to, and we've had people, you know, write us and say they want to, and they, and we've tried to keep this at a price point where you really can afford to ship the empty bottles, but I don't have a whole lot of faith that people will. It's a pain in the butt. Yep. So for the moment, we're just keeping it to accounts, restaurant accounts and bottle shop accounts where they are going to do the service of, of right. accumulating bottles. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where we are. It's, you know, it's the first step. So um, I have a neighbor who um, would call himself a serial entrepreneur and he it had to be at least 15 years ago was part of a startup that was trying to do this. They had bought some old equipment. Yeah. They were based out of Napa or American Canyon yeah. or something. And, and, and I guess my only point is that this has happened before, mm -hmm. but for them, it was all a matter of collecting bottles yeah. and then separating the different bottles because there were so many. And, and it's funny when he asked me about it, I told him that was going to be as big as, issue was trying to figure it out like yeah. you know no i know about the story okay. yeah in this company and actually one of the players in that company is also part of um a new startup called conscious containers who's having another go at it and okay. th they just raised enough money to buy a half million dollar bottle washer and so the thing about these bottle washers is you're reusing water you're reusing um you chemicals and so that's who we're going to use for the bottle washing and we are going to eventually accumulate the bottles and bring them back and keep it as a separate lot and so we're only going to get our bottles. But I do think if we really want this to work, then the industry has to come together and agree on a quote unquote washable bottle. I hate that term because all bottles are washable right. and reusable. It's the yeah. it's the standardization of yeah that's right the, of the of the mold yes and right. we all managed with the cork closure right. there was a time when there were different size different corks, size corks and the whole industry consolidated and ha we have one diam diameter for the cork and and the opening and now we need to do that with the bottle maybe agree on a dozen bottles you know yeah. so so then you need you need the flint you need cold right you need all the yeah. claret burgundy riesling bottle yeah. yeah. And then three different colors, maybe. Mm -hmm. 
So that's, you need nine bottles. Something like that. When right. I was first... And then you throw in a Tortuga just for piss people off. <laughs> well, so when I was first imagining this, I thought about, yes, the disagreement between the Bordelais and the, and the Burgund- Burgundians. And I, and I was thinking, well, maybe we should use a cubic bottle. It's more space efficient, less waste within the, within the, the case. Yeah, and the, but then we all agree that it's, you know, it's a reusable standardized bottle. But I decided, you know, coming up with that was just going to be too much wasted time. And so I started here with this, you know, very simple, lightweight, yeah. straight-sided Bordeaux mm-hmm. bottle. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, yeah. where do you think this will oh, happen? The wine first? is delicious too. Do you yeah. think it'll happen? Do you think it'll? Thank you. We do talk about wine occasionally on this. I know the wine is really good too. <laughs> yeah. Do you think glasses all around? <laughs> do you think that it'll it'll sort of um, take hold here first, or possibly in France? France has always re- washed their bottles. Uh, always. When I came, you're that America. Yeah, Wait, yeah. seriously? Seriously. When I came to Dujac, we would wash and reuse our bottles, and I stopped it actually because I said this is silly let's recycle it and get fresh glass but there is a glass washing uh, company in La Doisirigny and you they will collect your bottles so now we're reaccumulating again for them to wash it because it was one person who's washing with a little you know pipe cleaner oh using God. a ton of water and just getting <laughs> again. soaked and all day long when that person so that, was done yeah. wheelbarrowing they all dirt from the bottom of the vineyard back we to the top of the vineyard more right. and, that, and that's when I said okay this is ridiculous stop it but now now we are accumulating um, glass that has no label on it and we will take it back and have them washed and we'll get our own glass back and they they do this service and they they collect glass and and that's how the company even started. It's called Chevaux. And they started in the 40s with not a penny to his name. And Serge Chevaux would go driving to all of the vignerons and collect their glass bottles, wash them, and resell them back to, the, to them. And actually, uh, you know, I don't know if you followed the whole Rudy Kurnawan scandal of the fake burgundies, sure. but that's where he got his glass. At uh, Chevaux, uh, he'd buy old <laughs> bottles. Uh, yes, old washed bottles. Uh, yeah. So that that's is the problem. That's a great piece of that story yeah. that I never knew. Yeah, but that's the problem with Burgundy is uh, I, you know, I want to rewash bottles in Burgundy. Now, no, no, now nobody trusts you with their empty bottles. Well, it's, yeah, you have to, counterfeits are an issue. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I mean, counterfeits are an issue. Wow. <laughs> okay, so any thoughts about doing, because I know our friend Jason Haas at Tablas Creek is yes. doing, is getting into the box wine a little yeah. more seriously. Yeah, yeah. Um, so any thoughts about doing some sort of project with that? Well, Do I Jacques mean, in a box? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Do box? How, how cool would that be? Yeah. I think the short answer <laughs> is no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because, and then honestly, I think I'm in a, a demographic where really I want to focus on reusing glass. And because glass is inert. And I, box wine is great, but we don't it's make enough wine. Plastic is a problem. Anytime you're doing, you're talking about reducing your glass emissions through some other, other means, your pollution is going to be a problem. So whether it's glyphosate or whether it's packaging, then it's going to be plastic. So there's this trade-off between carbon emissions and and pollution, which you have to keep your eye on. But the problem really is the wines that I make. I don't make in enough volume and red. And to to make sense with box wine, we okay. also have Trienne in Provence, and we make a million bottles yeah. of rosé a year, and that would be fine for box wines, but it's not red. And anytime you're talking about white or rosé in in that plastic liner, your shelf life decreases dramatically. But you, right? You don't really care because white or rosé is being used faster. Is that but what it takes? Doing? But we're talking Provence. It takes two months to ship to the U.S. already, and so you're you know you've already expired. 
half of your shelf life okay. on, on the container. Okay. So I, I'm going to throw this one out to you. And I, I saw this on Instagram, and I think it was an Australian winery, to um, stop using shrink wrap. Yes, that'd be great. They were <laughs> um, saying all you need is the chipboard that usually comes with the glass, right? The, the cardboard. Yeah. And you wrap your pallets with the cardboard, and then you use re reusable strapping. Hmm. I like it. Right? Yeah. The number of things we could do is infinite, and that's the exciting right. part. Yeah. And, and so I started to kind of go down this with the company that warehouses my wine for me. And they were all about it, except they started thinking about, they came back and they said, the issue is, is that when we start taking apart your pallets, you know, they become unstable. And then how do we keep everybody's straps together and, mm -hmm. and whatnot? So maybe it's not the ideal thing in a warehouse situation, but for a winery that warehouses all your own stuff. And I mean, it, it's, and I guess the point is, is that we all start thinking about things like this um, there will always be problems, but solutions are there. I think that's right. And I think all of the solutions frequently lie in community. Yeah. And we have to move away from this American idea of individuality and, you know, just like carbon capture, we need to share equipment for CO2 right. compression, bottle reuse, we need to share bottles and we need to share straps. As you say, right. you know, frequently it means that we're going to have to work together. Right. That wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Yeah, no. yeah, but it takes everyone the, agreeing, and it's, right. that's the problem. Is we, even amongst the people who care, we don't all agree right. on how we should handle it. Well, the the bottle thing is super intriguing. I'm just sitting here like doing this mental math on it. If Moon Mountain, if well, no, <laughs> if, if we had, you know, even if it was like a consortium of small wineries all of a sudden your bottle buying power is way bigger yes. so your bottle prices can go down you're reusing them I, you know there's there's yeah. like all these these um you know shipping costs less because the bottle weighs less i mean there's, there's a whole bunch of like especially in community mm -hmm. ways that this is could be super powerful yeah that's right well, and, I, and that that is happening so we should talk. But okay. Yeah, that is awesome. happening. Yeah. I mean, that's something even in our getting bottles sucks. Yeah. Right. Is is <laughs> yeah. even in our just community of Sonoma Valley. I mean, I can think about restaurants that. Well, what do you think? Would the girl and the fig separate out Sam's bottles and my bottles and four or five other wineries if we were all using them? I see. Here's the thing: if there is a component at first that is, I'm going to call it a social media component, where they are on board because they can say they're on board with this particular program which their guests or fans of theirs will see a benefit towards then of course they'll be on board because it will be beneficial for them whether it's in terms of you know most likely it's 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 perception yeah. it's if people perceive that they're doing something good then then they'll be on board so this is working in london muriel chantal is another person who i met through porter protocol and her company is borough wines she imports to england wine in um porta tanks and she bottles it in reusable bottles and her experience is when you provide the service of collecting empty bottles your account participates Yep. And that is, you know, and because it's a service, you know, getting rid of all of that glass for a restaurant is work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 For us, I mean, it's insane. I can show you pictures of two dumpsters that at the end of the weekend are just yeah. full yeah. of random bottles. No, from it's heartbreaking. We don't have an energy problem. We have a waste problem. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I see it every day. Yeah. 
So who else have you talked to any other people um, here in California that are intrigued by the whole idea? Yeah, I've talked to Spotswood and there are a lot of people uh, mm-hmm. through Porter Protocol. I have a list of people who are thinking about it. And yeah, we're thinking about what if we get a pilot program working with local restaurants and all the funding we need is, you know, this one person who will be driving a d- around collecting empties. And this person, if they're also delivering at the same time, you know, it's, it's perfect. Right. Driving around an electric car, dropping off wine, picking up empties. And yeah, that is something that we are trying to organize. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I just got my 2021 Spotswood Sauvignon Blanc and my 2019 yeah. Spotswood Cab. Yeah. It, I would be willing to uh, separate out those bottles. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right. I mean, you just fill the cases back up. Yes, in into the, cellar, the same right? ca- case. It just goes right back into the That's same box. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then you're not recycling. And then your 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 cardboard dumpster isn't getting filled up with all As these well. boxes that you're breaking down all the time. Mm-hmm. Well, it'll be cool to have someone like them because, like, I mean, the one like their cab. I think last vintage was a hundred pointer. This one's a hundred pointer, depending on who you talk to. But but the prestige. Like, if uh, people go, oh, these people are doing it. Mm-hmm. Why can't we do it? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you know, that's the power that the wine industry has in general and we've we've leveraged that power before i mean the reason that biodynamic products show up on the shelves at walmart is because 25 years ago a handful of wineries started talking about biodynamics and you know it was at this high level of consumer product but it you know matriculates down to everything else and you know there's there's a lot of eyeballs on on wine uh you know Napa, Burgundy, Sonoma, wherever, um, taking a leadership role in that. And even if it's, you know, reusing some bottles or or capturing a little bit of carbon that comes off the top of your fermentation, but you're talking about it, everybody's talking about it, you be the leader, and then it makes its way down to the Walmarts of the world, you know? And the first time I saw organic Kraft macaroni and cheese, I was... (laughs) <laughs> my mouth was like open like wow we we we, we got also, there is this a victory <laughs> right, we, well, but it is it is i mean yeah. you know the, the organic got watered down enough that craft could put it on but yeah, yeah that's yeah now we have regenerative organic yeah. and biodyn- i mean that's where biodynamic really came from was the usda organic program making right. it so that organic didn't really making mean the same thing right, right. right. Mm-hmm. no you're absolutely right we have we have we're such so well poised in the wine world to do something about climate change everywhere from the the possibilities of carbon capture that we've talked about today but more so the ear we have of our clients and of the press and the privileged spot we have in agriculture and so that is just an opportunity we can't we cannot ignore we need to take advantage of yeah yeah no i love it and are you do you have plans on doing more than the one uh, Merlot? Yes, maybe. It's like yes. a pilot project? Yeah, no, I think we will, especially because, I mean, so there are three subjects when you talk about climate change. You know, one is just understanding it and accepting it. That's, you know, that's your first job. Then you talk about how to reduce your emissions. And then, of course, what we're all doing in real time is figuring out how to adapt to all of these changes that are going to happen, even if we are busting ourselves to reduce our emissions, it's going to get warmer. And so what we've realized at Snowden is, you know, part of 
creating stability is having fruit from diverse locations because these climactic weather, dramatic weather events are going to be kind of spotty. Part of keeping the business stable is going to ha- going to involve now um, buying fruit from other places. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that is the idea. But of course, you know, I'm not. I'm going to be. High high standards about sustainability of where the fruit comes from, and so we've been we've been looking, but so far we haven't found another fruit source that. Have you explored other varieties? Yeah, no, I'm. We're thinking. We're thinking about it. No, no, no. Yeah, we're thinking about another cousin's wine, another variety, but we haven't we haven't committed yet. But I do think that is yeah, that's going to happen. In in the you know land that defines Pinot Noir and Chardonnay, um, in Burgundy. Are people talking? I mean, you know, you, we saw the that Bordeaux added a few varieties recently. Ah. Are people having that conversation yet in Burgundy? Are people going like, you know, if yeah. if yeah. Pinot Noir and Chardonnay are having yeah. a hard time with frost at the beginning and heat waves in the middle and yeah. twenty inch rainstorms, like, is there that conversation happening there yet, or is that still uh, like yes. that, or is that like yes. telling your no, your no. uncle that we're going to stop spraying Roundup and it's just not going <laughs> anywhere yet? Someone no, comes no. in the middle of the night. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, people are talking about it, and um, you know we have all of these uh, things imposed on us by the the, the Appalachian Board. Right, right. So you have you have spacing in in burgundy you have to use meter by meter spacing irrigation is illegal otherwise your wine is called van de table yeah yeah and so all of the and varieties are imposed right. and so all of these rules which were based on on temperatures that are no longer relevant yeah. and yields yields ago. also right. in, in, in imposed we're going to have to reconsider all of them and yes i would say that we're going to have to reconsider varieties but i can't tell you how deeply upsetting that is for oh, i'm sure just like yeah. Pinot Noir and Chardonnay are the vehicles of terroir and these are now UNESCO classified vineyards and the idea of giving it up is is upsetting. I mean, I I think we would go, you know, all these adaptation choices, I I imagine shade cloth before giving up Pinot Noir. You, can, you can't irrigate, but maybe you can talk them into letting you we're spray some water to, no, we're to, to cool things that. off. Right. We're, especially for frost. We need right. to have sprinklers right. for frost. Right. And and do do the growers and the AOC, are they on? Do they see eye to eye or is there de- decisiveness between them? I really don't know where that conversation is. Um, I mean, we used to have to wait for the bon de vendange, so we would have to wait to start harvesting until right. they told us when we could. But harvests were backing up into the sacred vacation month of August. <laughs> and so they very quickly got rid of that tradition. Oh and my yeah, God. yeah, because they had, were, were not back from their vacation <laughs> to tell us we could go. So we no longer have to wait for official approval to start harvesting. So that, that went smoothly. Okay. I don't know where the other conversations yeah. are. Yeah, I do have one friend who's planted Syrah in Marcenay, and it's Vin de Table, and mm-hmm. I don't know how that ripened this year, but I bet it did. Mm-hmm. You know, we were mm-hmm. we were picking in August, mm-hmm. red. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas you know, in the seventies, we were picking in in October. I plotted, you know, Jacques, my father-in-law, he took very careful notes. I have plotted harvest dates. I've plotted sugars at at harvest and and acidities, and those lines are clear. You know, we harvesting a month earlier and yeah. he used to you know harvest an average of 10 potential alcohol and now we've hit 14 i've i've seen the wow. palette of sugar diminish to nothing right. and this is all in a 30-year time span yeah wow. yeah see that's that's the crazy thing 
Um, it, wait, wait, the palate of sugar meaning the chapelization, right? Yeah, we're not anymore. Yeah, right. yeah. And 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 is it von de Taub? Is that how you said that? Yeah. So if you if you break these rules and you irrigate or you plant Syrah and Marcinet, it no longer can be called Marcinet La Cote. Right. It has uh, it's a table wine. Can it be identified at all of coming from Marcinet? No, Nothing. No, so no. I mean, I'm sure you can word of mouth. Right. I'm not even but sure on, about but, that. But on the bottle, yeah. you would yeah. have no identity <laughs> yeah. from they'll where they'll it hunt came you from. down. You, you said put, this. You right. cannot, cannot put the geographical location if you do not meet the requirements of right. the AOC. So I guess AOC. my next question is: Are there other people just planting things? You know, just saying we have to learn and we're going to plant these that, to learn. I think that could come, but yeah, yeah I don't. I only know of this one yeah. person. Yeah, I know of other people who have flouted the spacing requirements and gone ahead on wider spacing. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Right. If you can't irrigate, make a wider spacing. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And and just even the yield requirements, and they tell you how many hectoliters per hectare you're allowed, and that's just no longer appropriate because you're exceeding what the rules yes. are or are you going yeah. okay yeah so in the 70s we struggled to get ripe right. and um and then also the vineyard started to have a reputation and if it you know if it was chambertin and you went ahead and made crazy high yields you would make a very weak wine and you'd bring down the reputation of the chambertin right. so that was the background of these rules was to protect the quality of these vineyards for everyone I mean, I think one of the craziest things about this, as you say, is 30 years, you know, for me, 37 years that I've been doing this. And, and I think of like vineyards that were on Sonoma Mountain, on the west side of Sonoma Mountain that grew Cabernet. And those wines used to taste like green beans, like yeah. opening a can of green beans. Yeah. And now we have friend, Cody, who's making some Cabernet from Le Chow, Le Chow. Um, hill, um, the west side of Sonoma, west side of Sonoma Mountain. The vines were planted a long time ago, and y y there's no greenness to it at all. And, and they hit 24, 25 bricks. So yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah. Well, maybe not quite that. <laughs> <laughs> Probably right. they could, they could. If you're listening, Cody, you could let it go that far if you wanted to. <laughs> but but that is that's climate change, and yeah. it's and, and it's only been that much time. Yeah, and, and I it, think you have to kind of be old to appreciate it. But you know, my heart breaks when I taste the wines that Jacques made in the 70s and 80s. And I know we just could not make wines like that anymore yeah. because it's not the same climate. Yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah, no, I have grieved for that and I have decided to let go. I mean, we, I think, again, back to those three things, those three big chunks of work you have to do about climate change. The, the learning and understanding chunk cannot be diminished. When you realize where we are right now, I mean, the, the emotional work you have to do to realize that we are in the planet's sixth largest extinction, sixth extinction, and up on the next, you know, the next coming up is polar bears, coral, coral reefs, and fine wine. We are on, when you see an emaciated polar bear balancing on a little chunk of ice, that's fine wine. That is, it is absolutely, and you have to get to that point mentally and to be ready to reuse your bottles, you know, yeah. to be ready to do, put in the infrastructure, infrastructure necessary to capture carbon dioxide coming off your fermenter. All of that is huge investment, but it only comes when you realize how bad the situation is right now. Well, and from a consumer standpoint, yeah, um, you know, I talk about this all the time, you, you are voting 
with your yeah, wine purchase. That's right. You shape the world with what you buy. And, um, you know, at the very least, find producers who are having this conversation, yeah. if not actually making action yeah. in that regard. And I do think with younger consumers, they're going to be coming to us and saying, so what are your sustainability problems? Yeah. Pro- they are. Yeah, yeah they, they are. are. And thank, thank God. Yeah. Yeah. Thank, thank God. God for those young people. Yeah. Yeah. So you have to be ready to pause their wine clubs when they get pregnant. That's what we're doing right now. I had a oh, phone call, phone call this morning. <laughs> you know, they're like, oh, we just had a baby. We're not drinking wine as fast. It's like, all right, we'll send you a t-shirt. We'll send you a baby shirt. And, and, oh, and the pregnant pause. The pregnant pause. The pregnant pause. I mean, that's, you know, a sign that, A, we're reaching the consumers that we want to be, but you have to be ready for those consumers yeah. as, a, as a winery. And your t-shirts are good. Thank you. <laughs> we'll, we'll send you home with one. As long as, you, as, long as you, you know, wear it on was, one of those. I was angling for One it. of those evening <laughs> walks <laughs> through Burgundy, you know, maybe post okay. a selfie, yeah. install ass. Wait, how how old are the kids? What size are they? Oh, exactly? yeah, yeah. Oh, right, we got yeah. the good shirts, too. Yeah. Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they can wear them on Fridays to school when they're not in uniform or something. Right? Yeah, they would love it. <laughs> oh, that's awesome, they man. love tie-dye. I raised them right. Yeah. Well, well done. <laughs> well, you did grow up in Berkeley, right? I oh, did. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, wow, this has been amazing. And, and I feel like, honestly, we would just barely scratch the surface. Yeah. yeah. Uh, ongoing, ongoing conversation. Next, yeah. you know, yeah. come back in a year and yeah, sure, we'll see where you know, yeah, who's who's I got washable bottles going. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. We're we are at the beginning of something very exciting. That's yeah. that is the way I see it. I think, and as every year goes by, and more of those young people have more power, it's going to go faster and faster. Totally. Yeah, because they get it. Right. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, it, it's. I'm sitting here thinking about Fine it. Fine wine is the polar bear on the fucking right. melting iceberg. <laughs> Paint that um, picture. Alligators, yeah. polar bears. Right. Exactly. Yeah. But, uh, but I actually... That's a teacher. I, I, I think about this because <laughs> I, I've had so many people, whether they're friends of, of my moms who have, you know, gotten wine or, um, or customers, you know, can, can, should we save our bottles for you? Mm-hmm. You know, do you want to reuse them? And I would say, no, you know, the best thing is just put it, put it in the recycling, you know. But, I mean, you know. Yeah. They live here. Well, it doesn't take them anything to it, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, bring back twelve bottles and they'll give you one free. That's yeah. right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. I mean, and and you know, and what doesn't? We know how much it costs to send a full case of wine across the country, um, which is a lot of money. I yeah, wonder ten dollars. Ten dollars to come back. Empty. empty? Yeah, empty twelve bottle case. Ten dollars. Wow. I mean, you send it back. I'll give you ten dollars off your next case. Mm-hmm. Just mean mm-hmm. send the like the sassy version of a of a wine box, a stamp addressed self, you know, self addressed stamped envelope, self addressed stamped wine box, yeah. mm-hmm. and send it back. Yeah. Save yeah. your box. Mm-hmm. Brand it. Make it cool. Recyclable. And at this point, usually people will point out to me, "What about the emissions of getting that wine glass mm-hmm. back?" Yeah. I mean, if I had a, a dollar for every time someone asked me that, we would be financing this whole thing already. Right. <laughs> Again, glass is a, we are not. We only have a finite amount right. of glass, and we now are moving to electric more and more, and all of that transport is going to become electric. And right. so, yeah, it's yeah. worth it. It's Shipping worth the gla- it. empty yeah. glass back is less than it's much. Less than a new glass so, and less than a recycled glass. Yeah, so this comes back to those carbon studies and audits. You have to reuse a wine bottle four times to make all of this worth it. Okay. Yeah, okay. more or less. You yeah. know, and it all depends. Are we talking New York? Are we talking somewhere in California? Right. It gets you get into the nitty gritty. Right. But yeah, more or less four times, mm-hmm. and it's worth it. Let's do the local program. Yeah, twelve. I think we should bring twelve back, and we'll you know give you a, a 
discount on the next bottle or a free yeah. bottle or something. The accountant probably doesn't want me to give away a free bottle for every 12, but let's figure something out. <laughs> T-shirt. There we go. T-shirts. <laughs> I got those. Organic cotton made in California. Nice. <laughs> All right. So if people want to get some of your wine so uh well, first you pray and maybe you got a bottle of douchock i was gonna right? say first i was gonna say the douchock you just go to I w- i'm sure you're gonna give some sort of code today right. for people to get a discount <laughs> recyclable bottle uh discount on the yeah. on the douchock and then um snowden snowden you can you go to our website yep. and you can buy the cousin's wine and let us know that you want to bring the bottle back that'd be fantastic and what is the price or, point on it Forty dollars retail. Okay. Yeah, yeah. For a great bottle of Merlot. Yeah, for yeah, yeah organic, biodynamic. Yeah. Santa Cruz Mountains. Santa Cruz Mountains. Yeah. Whoop whoop. Um, but yeah, all of the Snowden wines you can just get on our website. Cool. Yeah. And Ashes and Diamonds. Ashes and Diamonds, same thing. Yeah, or on the website, or come visit. They have you know a great tasting experience just outside of Napa. And um, Maya, Maya Thomas was just here earlier meeting you and she said to me that she, she just joined She's the wine club. A, yeah. <laughs> She's like, I haven't joined a wine club in I don't know how long, but I joined their wine club. I fucking love their wine. That's yeah, Jasmine great. and Maya That's had a great. good taste in there. Yeah. I wasn't invited, but yeah. whatever. Yeah. <laughs> you were working. It is Harvest. I'm sure I was not yeah. working. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Bart. Um, SVVGA, Sonoma Valley Vintners and Growers. Let's Vintage get it Festival. out there. Vintage Festival tickets are still available. Um, I saw the girl in the fig giving codes for discounts on tickets yes. as well. If you follow yes. the girl in the fig on yeah. Instagram, SV um, local, SV local, yep. uh, uh, gets you $25 off the, uh, grand tasting on Saturday, the ninth or seventh. No. Yeah. Saturday, Saturday the eighth, eighth. Saturday the 8th. Yeah. We, um, we need to print out something s- next time before we, so we, before we, can we go ever read Sunday the 9th. Can, <laughs> is, I, just, can, oh, there can I just jump on it? Sunday the 9th is Final Sunday presents the David Nelson Band with local favorites State Fair. <laughs> You're just reading it off the... <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's the one that doesn't have the corrected Valley Bar and Bottle doing food. Okay. Uh, it's Phil's birthday and uh, benefiting the Mayacomas Volunteer Fire Department. Um and if you bring me a bottle of Dujac, I'll give you four free tickets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> winner, winner. <laughs> uh, Eventbrite. You yeah. can buy tickets for that. Perfect. It's going to cool. be a good party. Yep. Good food. And people I talked to that went to Tacos Daron had a good time. So. Tacos Daron was a blast. Eddie uh, Eduardo Balbuena, uh, better than advertised on the tacos. It was great to just like kind of have the gang all together again wine club members old and new there were some people who like i don't know maybe they were staying at the fairmont i'm not exactly sure where they were staying somebody said you know they're like where do we go tasting somebody said we'll go to 16600 they said we, we can't we're having this party so they just came anyway they got here uh first they left last wow they Joined the club, bought a bunch of wine. Yeah. You know, it was like no, they, you know, Sonoma Napa veterans had said they'd never been anything like this. Yeah. Uh, so it was, it was a. It's like it was, this every day. It's like this every day. <laughs> totally, we just have you know fifty people hanging out and eating tacos and drinking Grenache every day. Totally, right? <laughs> it actually is. We just less people. <laughs> Pretty much. All right, Bart. Anything else? No, that's it. You do you know? have a release yet? Uh, I do not have a release yet. Okay. We're working on it. I'm okay. still going. I, I will say this out loud. I'm getting extremely frustrated with Commerce 7. You and everybody else yep. on the planet. Yep. No phone numbers, emails that you send back, you know, to right. someone else picks it up. They don't know what's going on. So, And I, and I, and I actually talked to a past um, podcast 
uh, member, and I, I won't name her name because it, it's because I didn't tell her I was going to do this, and she's having the same thing, and she's a very high-end Napa Valley cab. And so I think we talked to the us. same person, and I think we could yes. drop her name yeah. because she was, you know, this was Maya Dallavalle, uh complaining about the Commerce 7 Vine Spring, and, you know, how can you kill off a POS on October 1st yeah. on a bunch of winemakers? Yeah. And, and, Everybody was using Vine Spring version two, you know. Even Maya Dalva, like you know, qualifies. We're we're small businesses, small winemakers. They don't have like IT teams to make this all happen. It's, so, it's, so what I actually did is I've gone in the back door because on Vine Spring they had a very good chat function that you could ask questions to their tech people, right? And. Um, because it takes so long to get anything back from Commerce 7, I'm still sending messages to the people at uh, VineSpring, and then they're working for Commerce 7, and then they're going around and trying to get me some help there. So, um, you know, when you're a one-man shop, you rely on the companies that you do business with to help you, and it's just not going very well. So, Uh, anyway. New website for 16600, no longer VineSpring. Offset, uh, figure commerce by Offset. I'll give them a shout-out because they got it up. And I know that they're and totally swamped with people who are dealing with this situation right now. So the harvest report in California includes the POS systems. It's ridiculous. I love that we, I love that we got through this whole podcast and didn't talk at all about how it rained yesterday. Oh, it rained like an inch and a half. (laughs) Holy fuck. (laughs) Fire season's over. Yeah. That was amazing. Only that would be the lead, but nope. Right. Nah. We had Diana in house today. Right. And you know, (laughs) It was like a it was like a normal climactic experience as opposed to 120 degrees a week earlier. Yeah. You know, we always get a late September, early October, a little bit of rain. Everybody freaks out, yeah. and and then everything turns out okay. Yeah, and and even if you went out and kicked the dirt, you had to go a little bit deeper, but you still got dust. Oh yeah, there. no, it's still this was this was enough to germinate all the native grass seeds and stuff, and that little bit of green will grow underneath the dry grass and. You know, when the Santa Ana's blow and, you know, in a month, we won't worry so much. We'll be able to sleep at night. The uh, the moss on the oak trees was electric, though. So yeah, totally. Good. So, mm-hmm. yeah. No, it felt good. Yeah. yeah. It was like a real rain. Yeah. yeah. So were, were you here for the 120 and then yes. also the rain? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Yeah, no, I arrived on, on the second and... I was here for all of it. So you've had it all. Yeah. <laughs> and did you feel the earthquake too? I did. It was like the full yes. California yes. experience. And totally. Yeah. No, I was like, okay, oh, this is all that was missing. <laughs> well, Diana, thank you thank very you. much. No, really appreciate you. it. Yeah. Thank um, you. Thank you for totally. shining light yeah. on an important yeah. subject. Standing, yeah, ova- standing ovation. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Um, and totally. for sure, we want to do an update and then, you know, okay. come back next harvest I'd and let that. us know where we're at and how many more people can uh, wash their bottles sounds great yeah. Yeah. let's do it it's awesome yeah, thank thanks you. for listening guys leave us a review Look subscribe review to tell your friends wait, wait, whoa, whoa, wait, don't, wait, don't wait, hit that wait, button wait recycle your bottles recycle your bottles <laughs> thank you reuse your bottles reuse your bottles yeah.